Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Oh yeah, it's got double the water. <clears throat> um, so uh, yeah, um, I was uh, I was just back off what Rufus, Rufus saying. Like it has been like a really good day today. I've been like oddly happy, I guess. Um, <laughs> Like, I went for a walk. Like, I took the long way home from church this morning. And it takes a lot for me to, like, just go for a walk. Like, I have to be some kind of happy to just go, I'm going to go for a walk. Um, so uh, it has been a good day. Um, I'm really enjoying, like, this series, The Adventure Starts Here, right? Yeah. Because it kind of takes me back to, I guess, when I first, for me, really just took hold of what Christianity is and what it kind of entails for my life. I, I used to... You know, I grew up in Sunday school and I'd hear these stories of David slaying Goliath and I'd hear these stories of Paul in shipwrecks and running for their lives. And it just, I guess, excited me. Like, there were these amazing, like, stories that I just wanted to, I guess, I just wanted to live that. Like, I was like, these are awesome stories. And then, I guess it changed for me when I understood that the Bible was more than just stories. Like, these were blueprints for my life. This was, this was an invitation, like... What I was reading off the page, like the stories in Acts, it was like, this is for you, Aaron. Like, you can live this if you want. See, the Christian life was always designed to be an adventure. That's what we were called to live out, is an adventure. It's an invitation for you to live like these guys lived in the Bible. And uh, when I got that, when I grasped that, understood, hey, this is actually going to be quite fun. And um, so I just, I guess, ever since I've been kind of working that out with God, and it's just been, it has, it's been great fun. And uh, tonight I want to look at, uh, I guess, the first kind of stage of starting your adventure. The first couple of steps that I think is important to take when you're starting out on an adventure. And I want to look at when Jesus first calls his disciples. And I want to read the story from uh, Matthew 4, 18 to 22. And then we'll look at it in Luke uh, later on and we'll, and we'll kind of just draw some stuff out of it. So uh, let's just kick off. Matthew 4, 18 to 22. Um, uh, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, it's an awesome name, and uh, (laughs) repairing their nets. And he called them to come. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. You know, it, it always um, baffled me why Jesus needed to like, get this team of disciples together. Like, surely he'd be way better doing it alone. Like, these aren't exactly like the Avengers, right? This is not like a good team that he's like assembling. And I'm just, it just baffled me. Like, there's a reason he created humans lost. Like, there's a reason that was the last thing he did. Because if he had created them first, we would have just got in the way. I'm convinced. It would have been like... God, that's a cool river, but it's kind of in the way of this prime real estate. Could you just maybe like bend it round, maybe add some value to it? Or we would just t- we would tell God how to create and how to design. We'd get in the way. Uh, but yet Jesus, his, his first thing to do when he starts out on his mission is, I want to find a team. I want, I want to gather some people. And I want to explore that a little bit because... When, when, I just didn't get why, why God, you, you do it better on your own. We'd get in the way. 
And then as I kind of looked into it and thought about it, I realized there are two places I really see deep pain, emotional pain for Jesus. The first is when he weeps over Jerusalem. And he says, his people reject him. In other words, the moment he's separated from his people, a deep emotional pain is found in Jesus to the point that he weeps over his city. And then on the cross, when he cries out, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? And that point of separation between Jesus and God, the Son and the Father, is so deeply painful for him. It, it nearly killed him. That pain is so deep. And Jesus, because here's the thing, if Jesus couldn't do it alone, we're not called to do it alone. You're not called to start an adventure on your own. Ephesians 1.5 says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Family is at the very core of God's design. It just is at the core of his design. What's the one bad thing about creation? That man was, it's not good that man should be alone. I need to create a partner for him. This is not okay. It's not good. What is it through Abraham? It's through a man's desire for a family that God enters history. Like, that's, think about that. It's through the desire for a family. Abraham's desire for a son causes God to step into history. That's the point at which, and it's through that line, through that family line that Jesus comes to earth, that the Son of God descends from heaven onto earth and, we, and he, he saves the world through family. It's so important. It's so integral. Um, family's so important. You're not designed to go it alone. And there's this, um, I, find it, I find it funny, like, it seems to be this popular trend or whatever, that it's kind of, I... I'm okay on my own. Like, I don't need church, right? Like, it's okay. Like, you can be a Christian and not go to church. It's totally fine. Well, actually, I want to push against that a little bit. Actually, I think it's important that we're in church. It's important that we're in family because you can't love God and not love the body. Yeah. You can't love the head and not love the rest of the body. Yeah. You, I can't, you know, when, when you get married, you can't separate the head from the body and go, I love this bit, but the body, not so much. So let's get rid of that. <laughs> I'll just, like, you can't do that. They're, they're, they're joined together. Some of you might wish you could do that, but you can't do it. They're so integral. They're so together. They're designed to be together. You see, God purposed you that you would love Him and love the church. I would question, if you don't love the church, do you, do you love Him? You can't pursue His heart and not pursue His people at the same time. You see, God designed you to be in church, to be stood shoulder to shoulder next to each other as an army. Like he calls us the army of God, like rise up army of God, brothers and sisters. Like I know it's so cheesy, but it's so true. There's a realness to it. There's a strength in family. Side by side, got each other's back. The Bible calls us to prefer one another. Like that's, in, that's incredible. That's so countercultural. Prefer the other person over myself? That kind of, that, that only happens in family. It's not about using people. It's not about manipulating people and gaining from them. It's about giving out. Looking out for someone else's back. And you know, when, when that's happening, 
you're less likely to fall. You're less likely to be left stranded on your own. The Bible Proverbs talks about it. It's not good. It goes too because it even says at one point, if you're cold at night, you can snuggle. <laughs> like spooning was invented by God. Like, I'm, like it's in Proverbs. I, I, I don't know where it is in Proverbs, but I promise you it's there. <laughs> you can quote me on that. God invented spooning, right? Um, <laughs> He's called us to advance his family, taking ground for him to see this city transformed by a radical love of a father for his creation. Like that's the call of the church, family. Exodus, you see, um, I'll get there in a second. There's something about, people think, on my own I can go quicker. Like, it's faster on my own. That might be true, but you won't go as far. You, you can go quicker, agree, I'll agree with you there, but you won't go as far, because you'll tire out. Yeah. Exodus uh, 4, 10 to 16, it's a story of where, uh, so God has just appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Um, and he says, and Moses says to the Lord, God has called Moses, right? And he says, Moses to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth. And then, Look at this before, a couple of verses before, Exodus 4, um, 6 to 7. Read in a sec. Pause for dramatic effect. Um, 6. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. What's my point here? My point is, God at any point has just proven that he can heal, right? So if Moses has got a problem, a speech impediment, at any moment, God can say to Moses, hey, I'll just heal your speech impediment, it's fine. But he doesn't. In fact, he burns with anger against Moses. And he says, is there not someone you know in your family who can partner with you that you can join together and it will be as if He is your mouth. Such a unity and power in that. So that Moses was was called not to do it alone, but to do it in partnership. To do it with family. It's going to take a whole church to reach a whole city. I don't know your neighbor. I don't have a clue who they are, honestly. I know Adam's neighbor because I live with him. But I I, I don't know your neighbor. You're exempt. But I I don't know your neighbor. But you do. I can't reach your neighbor. I, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. But you can. Yeah. I, I can't reach your workplace. I, I don't know them. 
I mean, I can pray for your workplace, sure. But didn't God position you in your workplace? Like, aren't you put in your workplace for a reason? Didn't God do that for a reason? Who believes they're where they are for a reason, right? So if you're in your workplace for... I'm glad Kevin does. <laughs> So if you're in your workplace for a reason, God designed you to be there so that you can be salt and light in that place. Yeah. It's time for us to all rise up as family together, encouraging one another, joint in unity, like in love, loving each other, encouraging each other, and pushing forward on for the kingdom. Yeah. You see, Jesus understood the importance of family. He understood the principle of it. He understood the power in family. He understood how much further you can go when you do it with family. And by the way, the people sat behind you, in front of you, to the left and to the right of you, are family. Like church is family. And if there's anything that where you feel... and You can be sat here in church and feel so isolated. Like I've been there before where I feel like it's me and God, I'm on my own. The thing is, you're not. Like so often you're not. Just talk to someone. Get a hold of someone. Pray with someone. There's such power in that. And if there's bitterness or offense, can I encourage you d- deal with it? Take it to somebody and just deal with it. It's so important that we deal with unforgiveness in the church. God says they will know you're my disciple. They will know me through the way you love each other. Yeah. Like that's powerful. Yeah. So the first thing is do it with family. The second thing is this. The second interesting thing, I guess, about the story is this, is the disciples just get up and leave, right? Jesus says, come and follow me. And these guys are sat in their boat, fishing all day, and they're just like, yep. Like, stranger danger wasn't a principle, like, back in that day, right? They just just follow him. And I want to look at why. Because I think there's something important, I guess, to glean from the reason they get up so quickly. And and I want to look at that in Luke's account of the story. And we look in Luke 5, Luke, I guess, like gives more detail of the account of when Jesus calls these guys. So Luke 5, verse 1. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Um, The people (laughs) were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Go in, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. This is Simon Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up. They pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. So the disciples had just caught the biggest catch 
of their life. Like, this is probably the biggest catch Jerusalem has ever seen. Like, they probably made it into the Jerusalem Independent front page news the next morning. (laughs) Men's Fishing Weekly, like, wanted an exclusive interview with these guys. Like, what they just achieved was amazing. Everything they wanted, like, this is their work. This is their, like, their life, their livelihood. And their biggest catch, they just leave it on the shore. Crazy, right? Insane. Here's the thing we have to understand about the disciples, or the people that Jesus is calling here. Their life is absolutely set. Their, their dad was a fisherman. They're in the boat with their dad. Their granddad was probably a fisherman. Their great-granddad was probably a fisherman. They had probably grew up in the boat, in, in fishing. They, they, they were going to they learn the trade. They were going to work the trade, and they were going to pass the trade on probably to their kids. That was the plan. That was, that was their destiny, set out in stone. That was just the way it worked. You inherited the family business, and you continued it. That was your trade for your life. It was set in stone. That was their life. That was their lot. But it's so temporal. It's so... It kind of just seems like it amounts to nothing, right? And it doesn't feel like that sometimes. You're like, I'm just working, and what am I like... <laughs> What am I achieving? Like, what am I doing? Like, it's just, I'm just, I guess I'm working for money to pay bills to, so I can live and eat and then I'm doing that all over again. Like, it just seems like this is so temporal. So small-minded sometimes. And there's no, doesn't seem to be lasting fruit. There's no lasting impact, I guess. You know, we can get so caught up in the temporal. I remember one time I was, uh, I was studying for uh, my A-levels. Some of you guys are in exam season. I'm not because I'm a theology student. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <so>. um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, <clears throat> moral of the story, do, do, a, do a DOS degree. Um, so, and I'm studying for my A-levels, and um, I'm like, I, I take this revision break, and uh, I go to the toilet, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm having a wee, and I pull my phone out. Now, pulling my phone out, it slips, and in slow motion, I watch this phone just descend, in, hits off the rim of the bowl, and it's going around the bowl, and just in. Mid-wee, right? This is not like, this is not happening after I've weed or before, this is mid-wee. I have to continue weeing on my phone. Do you know how, do you know how painful that is? Like, to watch your phone sink to the depths and then just continue to wee on it. I couldn't just like mid-wee bend over and like pick it up. That would have been bad. So anyway, can you imagine the distress I'm in? The moment I'm finished. The moment I'm finished. <laughs> A sleeve comes up. The hand goes in. I'm saving this phone, right? <laughs> Anyway, uh, I whack it in like a box of rice or something like that. Because that's what it's supposed to do. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, yeah, we didn't eat the rice. They got binned. um, And uh, I'm like, do you know what? This is a time for prayer. So, (laughs) God, you raised Lazarus from the dead. You even raised Jesus from the dead. Greater things will I do than you ever did. In Jesus' name, I pray. Resurrection power, come on this phone. And uh, after an intense prayer time, contending with God, I, uh, God spoke to me. And 
one of these moments that like it wasn't audible or anything, but you know when just there's like an extra clarity to what God's saying, right? Like God speaks to me a lot and it's awesome. But this was like it was like special clarity here. And he just goes, That's the first time you've spoken to me in two weeks. And I just <laughs> you can imagine what I felt like. I felt this small. And uh, I'm like, I'm so sorry, God. Can you fix my phone? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, God, I'm so sorry. I'm, 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 I'm sorry, God. And, and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking, you know, the one thing that's connected me back to God is my phone. Like the need to, for my phone. The phone never, never did come back. But, um, and that's the thing, right? We get so caught up in the temporal things that we forget about God. It was a point to that story. <laughs> but sometimes Jesus turns up on the shore, right? And he, he sees us in our boat. And he just asks this question. Will you follow me? Like, Jesus has this habit. You know when we seem to have things under control? Like, I'm like, finally, I've got a grip of my life. Like, it's not all running away from me. And then God just turns up and goes, are you willing to follow me still? Are you serious? I've just got control of my life. Or I just felt like I've, I've got it. I've got some hold on it, I guess. And it just messes up. Or just something happens and it explodes in our face. And Jesus is just there on the shore like, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Your salvation's not found in the temporal stuff. I'm so happy about that. It's so changing. It's so wavers so quickly now I don't know much about what's happening in the oil crisis I'm not I don't pretend to have a clue but if that's you and like you've got a job in oil and you're nervous and about the insecurity of the job or you've just lost it or something your comfort's not in the temporal stuff like have confidence in that like God is so much bigger than the temporal stuff we have to understand it's not about the temple and Jesus he comes and he interrupts our life and he, he gives us an invitation to, to join him that's awesome right that's cool right well you know sometimes I quite like my boat like I have to like, I'll be honest sometimes I enjoy my boat I like the comfortability I like the regularness I like the consistency I guess of knowing what I'm doing tomorrow knowing what I'm doing the next day and sometimes I just don't want God to come in and mess it up or sometimes I just I, I want to resist that you know, sometimes it comes out of a, a fear of um, just this, God, if you come in, I've just got stuff sorted. If, you, if I let you in, like, all the stuff that I'm working for is just going to be ruined. Like, this, this temporal stuff I'm trying to build, this life, this security, this comfort, it's just going to go. It's going to evaporate. It's going to leave. But you see, there's something, I don't think God just removes the desires of our hearts. Like, he puts desires in our heart for reasons. Like, you have gifts and you have desires, and he gave them to you. I wholeheartedly believe that. I mean, there are some desires that aren't of God, um, like murdering someone. Like, don't do that. Um, But the thing is that that God has, there's God-given desires on the inside of you. There's God-given gifts. Genesis 15 this is awesome. This is probably like my favorite bit of scripture. Um, Genesis 15, the Lord's covenant with Abraham. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. 
Do not be afraid, Abraham. It's important that he's called Abraham at this point. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But, Abraham said, let's leave it there for a second. So this is God of the universe. Like, the creator of the universe. Abraham is breathing because of this guy talking to him. Like, it's by his will that Abraham is, is living. And God says, I am, your reward is me. Like, I'm giving myself to you. This is God giving himself to a human being. And Abraham's like, but. Like, that's awesome, God. Thanks, I guess. But. And it's important that he's called Abraham at this point because Abraham means father of many sons. It's before he gets called Abraham. Abraham means father of nations. So Abraham, father of sons, has no son in a culture that it is crucially important to have a son and it is, your name carries a lot of weight. He was the laughing stock of his community, I guarantee you. They call you the father of many sons? Like, where's your son, dude? Like, where is he? Right? You can't even produce one. Ha! Some name. So the desire of Abraham's heart is this. I just want a son, God. Like, just give me a son. And he says, but Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? In other words, everything else you can give me is pointless because the one desire I have is a child. Um, Childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abraham said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. What's the point here? I think God takes our God-given desires that we so often implement on the temporal level and he brings his eternal purposes and he decides to marry the two together and at that point his eternal plan starts to take shape in your life. The, the adventure comes when you take the temporal stuff, the temporal desires that God's given and put on your heart, the temporal gifts, and when you bring it to God and say, everything I have is yours. And he brings his eternal glory, his eternal purposes for your life, and he marries the two together. Something powerful happens in that moment. You begin to realize This is the adventure that God had for me. This is the life that God had for me. This is what I'm destined to do. You start to feel at home with what you're doing. What you're doing starts to carry some weight. It starts to carry some purpose. You you kind of you broaden up a little bit. You you stand a little bit taller. You you start to walk in the things of God because He's married the two together. he's, He's taken the temporal and He's turned it into something eternal. Back to the disciples at this river, at this lake. God shows up and he says, Jesus shows up and he says, hey, cast your, cast your nets on this side. Pull up as many fish as you want. Go ahead. And they do it. And it's so much fish that it just overwhelms them. They can't even carry it. What's this sign? Peter says, I've been working all night for this. And Jesus, in a split second, produces thousands of fish. And he's like, this is what you want? (laughs) This, fish, you want a boat full of fish? 
Like, if you want that, I'll do that for you. Fine. Like, this is what you want. This is what you desire. This temporal stuff. This stuff that is not going to last. Like, fish rots quite quickly. It stinks. Like, you want this stuff? You want boats full? Fine, I can produce that for you. But I've got something so much greater for you. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. There's an increase there. There's an there's a, there's a addition to their desire and their skill, which was, I just desire to catch a lot of fish. I've been working so hard for it all my life. This temporal stuff. And God's like, I'm adding to it something of eternity. Something that has worth. Something that carries fruit for eternity. Like, do you not desire to stand before God at Judgment Day and Him just look you in the eye and say, I'm so proud of what you did. Like, what you did has affected eternity. Like, what you did has affected people. who People are here because of what you did. Because you, you took your desires that I gave you and you brought them to me and you said, God, do with me what you want. And I brought my eternal plan to your life. And it carried such a weight. And it, it carried such a weight. It resonated around heaven. What you did. I'm so proud of you. Well done. Come on in. Come on in. Is that not, what, like, is that not just what you desire? Is that not the dream, right? Is that not the ultimate praise? It's this question that God constantly just proceeds from him constantly. It's Isaiah 6, 8. It says this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. The disciples had seen something of eternity. God had offered them something greater. He said, I can catch fish for you all day. You can do that all day. But there's something much better and much bigger that I have for you. You can't even see it. You don't even see it now. Like your vision doesn't go far enough to know where I'm taking you. Like, do you think when they stepped out of that boat, they thought that they were going to build the church? Do you think that? I really don't. I really don't think they saw that at all. The vision wasn't big enough. But it was the willingness of a heart to say, do you know what? Here I am. Like, I don't know what you're going to do with me. I don't know what it's going to look like along the way. But here I am. And then look at this. This is awesome. John 6, 66 to 69. And we pick up the, the story of the disciples, I guess, later on. That after this boat stuff had happened, and they'd been journeying with Jesus for a while. John 66 says this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him. This is Simon Peter. Remember him? The guy... In the boat, the, the, guy who, the guy who Jesus asked him to cast him out a bit, the guy who pulls up the fish, the guy who Jesus invites, I'm not, I'm not training you to be fishermen anymore, I'm training you to be fishers of men, fishers of people, I'm adding something of eternity to you. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One, the Holy One of God. In other words, I know you're the Son of God. But there's something I've tasted of you, God, of Jesus, that I just can't get my head around. I don't want to return back to that boat because it was so temporal. It was so, just amounted to nothing. You added to me words of eternal life. Something that just carried such a weight. 
Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.